let's open with prayer. <laughs> right? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those new points of revelation that you are always opening our eyes to. And Father, we just ask that um, what you've given me to share today would touch on those points that you want to encourage your sons in and to expand us in new ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, it's interesting because as per usual, you know, you start off in a scripture because like, I think somebody was teaching on it and something stood out and I thought, I'm going to go back and look at this. And then when I went back to look at it, what the father brought out to me was totally different than where I thought it was going to go initially. But with that being said, um, you know, I start with Exodus 31 and it's 12 through 17. And the, uh, um, the word that stood out was the word work or any work. And, um, when you look at the word work, it's the word malak, which has to do with a deputyship. In other words, a ministry or general employment. And it does indicate that it's never servile, but that um, it can also be property as the result of labor. So your business or the cattle you may have, being industrious, the occupation, um, an officer or, you know, your workmanship. And it's interesting because it roots to malak, which actually means to dispatch as a deputy or a messenger, specifically of God. So in other words, an angel, also a prophet, a priest or a teacher, or an ambassador, um, the king. So, you know, if you deputize an individual, you're giving them the ability to represent your authority and to enforce I said the law, but your law. And we know through scripture that it was the privilege of kings to know the ways and the purpose of God and dispense the message of his truth or his heart to the people so that they could abide in accordance with his ways. And as sons, then it is our occupation to be the ambassador or the messengers from the right hand of God, which embodies his heart. And we are his prophets. We are his priests and kings who partner with the angelic to bring his will to bear upon this earth and to restore his kingdom. So it was interesting because, you know, Exodus 31, I mean, this is right before um, Moses is given the 10 commandments, you know, to the people right before God gives it to Moses. And it's like, how many times have I read through this? And we just assign work, you know, you don't work on the Sabbath and it's, Oh, you just, People say you're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to rest. You're not supposed to work at your job or your trade. But um, let's read through first. And starting in verse 12, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it surely shall be put to death, or shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work, here's our word, therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. 
It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So, interestingly, you know, when you're looking, the first two words for spake used in verse 12 are the word amar, which would be a challenge or even a charge, like I charge you, you know. So, the Lord, which is Yahweh, so his plans and purpose are what were handing down that charge or that responsibility to Moses and then telling Moses he was to then charge the people with, and it says speaking, that's to bar. So with those carefully laid out foundational words of purpose. Um, and when he's talking about, let's see, how did I write it? You know, it's funny because when I typed this up, it was much bigger. Spake and saying are both amar. Speak in verse 13 is debar. Because then when he goes, thou are, when he says, speak thou also unto the children of Israel. And when it says saying, that's amar, which is that to charge them, give them charge, challenge them. Um, so, and when he says, verily my Sabbaths, Again, you know, you think of Sabbath, and when you look at it, the word does mean um, a repose or to desist from exertion, but it talks about being used in many implications um, and relations that it can mean to cease or celebrate, to fail, um, to suffer, to be lacking, to put away or um, still or to take away. So essentially... And, you know, the heart, the plan and purpose of God charged Moses to lay out these foundational words of purpose that would charge the people who were to be his sons or the representative of his ways to guard over the day in which they were to cease from their own ideas, their own ways of thinking, and celebrate that which appeared to be lacking or empty. Because, you know, when it talks about it to be lacking, and that's what the Sabbath involves. Um, as it was really full of the potential of the new way that God wanted them to move on behalf of his glory. And, you know, we know this concept, you partner with the empty hand of the father for the new thing that he wants you to move forward. in, and that's what the Sabbath was representing. And that really this, what the Sabbath was representing is the, the thing that's going to prepare his sons to move forward in a new way that is required to partner um, with him in that empty place and doing it in such a manner that they weren't trying to accomplish it of their own um, volition, of their own ideas or their own strength. Um, and he says, when he goes on to say, because he says, um, let me find it here. <laughs> Because he says, verily my Sabbath you shall keep. That word keep is what is the word to guard. And when it says for it's a sign, the word sign is talking about a monument, but it's also representative of that covenant um, that's there. And because it starts with a monument or evidence of, but it roots to assent or to consent. And so, um, you know, the devotion to this time frame was the evidence or the monument that could be looked upon by all is that that represented Israel's consent to partner 
only with the ways of God. And obviously we know that this point of partnership is ultimately what brings about the restoration of Father's intent from the beginning of time through etern- throughout eternity. And, you know, and that's even um, indicated because when he says, um, oh, looking where I've got all my things in between, <laughs> it says, because it will be, a, um, a sign between me and you throughout your generations. And generations, often we just think of um, future generations, future children. But, you know, this talks about a revolution of time, so, um, or a dwelling, or forevermore. And it's interesting because it does root back to a word that means to gyrate or to move in a circle. So, um, again, and that's what it's talking about, you know, that that's that point of restoration that the Father was intent on from the beginning. And our devotion and submission to this partnership is then what makes us holy or those who are set apart as sons. Um, you know, and the other thing that the Father was showing me is that this idea of the Sabbath for us as sons, it's not just about one day, that this is an actual, it's a continual process that we have to guard over every new point of grace and the journey that brings us to that point. Um, because in this way, we will know and be assured that it's his plans and purpose that have set us apart for the times that we find ourselves in. You know, it's like the preparation that brings us to this Sabbath rest. Because again, you know, it talks about, um, you know, that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you, that this is a time that the Father has set aside for us to come to the fullness of whatever the work is that He's been doing in us and be prepared to move forward in a new way. It's not about just resting and not doing anything. It's really about the preparation to go into the new thing. And and this is just the Sabbath. And it says, and you shall keep the Sabbath um, and keep a shamar. So still you shall guard for it is holy unto you. So it is set apart. And then it says everyone that defileth. So the word here for defile is the word kahala. Which it's interesting because, you know, the father started talking to me about this, you know, earlier in the week. And then Pastor Ron gave his teaching on Wednesday. But the word for kahala means to bore or wound, um, to dissolve. Or, you know, you could break one's word and it roots to hollow, which means rubbed or worn to be afflicted. But it can also be to make prayer um, or a woman who's in travail. And ultimately goes back to tool or to twist, which we know, again, is that restorative process. But what it reminded me of um, and was the teaching where he was um, talking about the wounding and how this was really the place where Tobin Raw met mean, and then that body comes together at that point to determine if it's going to repair itself and live, or if it's going to partner with the raw or the bitterness and essentially die. And that's what essentially is being said in verse 14, because it says, you shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is set apart unto you and every one that in this moment where Tov meets raw has the opportunity you know, if you partner with the twisted application of truth and allow it to pierce you, then 
you're partnering with that bitterness. And so when it says you shall surely be put to death, we know that that partnership with raw is what leads to death. Um, and it says, and then it goes on to say for whosoever doeth any work. And this is our, this is our word. Um, and in that regard, um, well, and I'll just say, you know, any work that soul. So the word for soul is nefesh, which is our breathing, you know, where we, how we are refreshed will be cut off and being cut off is just completely, um, cut asunder to destroyed. So let me see how I did this. Sorry. <laughs> All right. And essentially the, um, when you look to, when it talks about the word do it there, um, sorry. Oh wait, I've jumped down one more. <laughs> I apologize. Back to 14. Cause it's talking about, you know, anyone who defiles it. Okay. I'm sorry for whoever doeth any work. And so the word for doeth is actually a word that speaks about being bruised. And, um, so Again, being bruised, as we were discussing the other day, is about that being contrite before the Father. And that when you are contrite and submitted, you know, ultimately we want to be that before the Lord. But in this case, if you have not overcome in that point of, you know, it's about defileth, when that point of defiling come, if you've joined with the bitterness then you've submitted yourself to that twisted purpose of the enemy instead. And then when it's saying any work, you know, then you're acting as a deputy or you're um, giving out the message of this twisted point of truth. And this is what he doesn't want to have happen on the Sabbath because the Sabbath, that point of being ready to move into the new way of the father, you can't afford in the battle that ensued to come to that point to have partnered with whatever bitterness was affronting the purpose of the Lord for that to be what comes forth out of that Sabbath day versus it being that point of commitment and um, contriteness before the Lord for his intent and for what he wanted to move you in in the new way. And I just felt like it gave such a different perspective because then it's all about, you know, as we stated earlier, you go through this, um, how, how did I word it? Sorry. Just trying to make sure I'm communicating what the father was showing me. Um, you know, you've been through these experiences and all the influences that will come against you, but those influences are what were to overcome. You know, we talked about that wounding earlier with defileth. And so, um, you know, if you do partner with that and then you continue to make yourself contrite before and make yourself a voice of that bitterness, then that is what cuts you off, obviously, because then you're not listening to the heart of the father and your soul, that place where you draw your breath, you know, you draw in the spirit of the Lord that has essentially, that's what's been separated. You're no longer connected there. And so again, this was more spiritual principle and a lot of it. Um, 
Let's see. I just said, you know, Israel had just come out of Egypt and they had lots of influences they had been exposed to that functioned in a twisted point of truth. And it occupied the people's minds and it influenced the way that they attempted to deal with things in the natural. However, (laughs) operating this manner would effectively cut them off from receiving the revelation of truth of the spirit that would bring life to them and cause them to be refreshed from those things that they had been striving against. And, you know, for us, this could be even something that the Lord has given us um, for a point of overcoming. And instead of moving in obedience to accomplish his directive and then coming back victorious and rejoicing with an expectant heart to receive new understanding and revelation, that we can make an occupation of the way the Father has directed us to move in the past, that we get, um, you know, we can get hung up on, well, this is how the Father's moving right now, and so we want to keep in this, this exact stream, you know, versus flowing in the river of, okay, Lord, this is where you're taking us now. And we have to recognize as we go into the nations that, you know, this is going to be a temptation, obviously, that they're going to have to overcome or in the process of overcoming. And we have to be prepared ourselves to move in a new way at the directive of his breath and, you know, offering praise for how he breaks through upon us and on the nations that he has us moving forward in in grace. And we know this is that aspect, too, of changing us from glory to glory, you know, Um And the heart of the Father, you know, that's the other thing when you look at this, because so many times through the years, we've made this just about work, about physical work. But it's like the heart of the Father was always to give the people an understanding of His Spirit. You know, His Spirit may not have been dwelling in them, but it was what led them. It's what He led them out by, out of Egypt. It's what He led them through the wilderness with. And this was how He wanted His people to function. I mean, this was what the garden was all about. You know, in the morning, in the coolness of the day, in the breath of God's Spirit, That's how, it's up here, um, Adam and Eve communed with God. And when that was lost, the father was always about trying to restore this point of his sons understanding his spirit and that being how we receive directive. Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking how much harder it had to be for them because they didn't have the indwelling of the spirit. And so this really had to be like, not only was it a a foreign thought for them. It was a completely new concept, but then they didn't have the spirit within them to guide them in this way. And so it was really in your face kind of deal. Whereas it's still that way, but we have an understanding of the spirit within us that connects us. And we don't have to go through a person or through you know, the forms they did go through. And so, you know, you really realize that Anything that happened with Israel was really God's hand because to do this all without his, you know, to have his spirit fall on you or to be anointed by him was really uh, one of those privileges that we get on a daily basis now because of that privilege of sons where they were just, you know, they were called out as a people, but you really see how it's, 
I don't know. To me, I'm just thinking, man, they had to do this all without his spirit. I mean, he was physically there, but this was... Right. But I think that's too, you know, because then right after this scripture, he gives the Ten Commandments. You know, he laid out, these are the things you do and the natural, you know, to be able to align yourself so that you're ready to move with my spirit, but also why it was so essential that all these things that they'd gathered through the years, you know, yes, they were under Egyptian rule, but yes, they knew their God, but they weren't, they weren't going to a temple to worship. You know, they didn't have the, somebody teaching them, you know, the fresh words. So the father was saying, I want to give you this fresh point of perspective, this fresh way and a new way to move forward. But to do this, this for them, the seventh day, this Sabbath day, this point of new beginning, I need you to not be using your voice in partnership with these, you know, trying to somehow tie in the other things. Oh, well, you know, this God had this aspect of, you know, what God Almighty does. So we can, right, we can mix it together and still make it work. You can draw a correlation um, with, with the concept of God giving Israel physical things to do so that they would be conditioned to respond in the same way when confronted with the spiritual things. It's, it's very much like uh, wax on, wax off, paint the fence, right. you know, paint the house. Those movements that Daniel-san learned you know, uh, were, were, became automatic in self-defense as he understood uh, by a demonstration. Right. Um, you know, and and uh, the transformation of his inability to defend himself to that ability to function uh, with with uh, a skill set is that same principle that God was trying to give Israel. Uh, I am giving you a uh, a, a manual exercise that will enhance your uh, skill sets so that when you are faced with things that are not uh, that are of a spiritual nature, you'll respond because of what you have become skilled at doing in the natural. You will be in the supernatural or in the spiritual in this way. So um, God has, has, is still doing that. I mean, we are still going through exercises in the natural to hone our spiritual prowess to deal with the enemy in a, a victorious way rather than succumbing to the uh, what appears to be defeat, what appears to be overwhelming. All of a sudden, we are applying that skill to those points of the enemy that, that cause him to dissolve, right. that cause the mountain to be jumped into the sea, to, to cause the valleys to be full, to then the mountains level. It, it's that uh, uh, you can't do it by might and power. You have to do it by the spirit. And, and we are being transformed. We have been transformed into those who are functioning more in the spirit than in the natural. Right. Amen. Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, like you said, because we're functioning in the spirit and we realize that again, Adonai, everything that we're going through is part of the training so that we are prepared to overcome. 
brings us back to this point, though, of this recognition of the Sabbath and that it's not just a day, but it's this every time there's a fullness or of something that the Father has asked us to do, there's a completion of what he's been directing us in, that once it is brought to fulfillment, that we're okay, you know, we're now ready to move into that next thing because we realize that it's, and I mentioned it later, but that what we've been through is a building block for us to be able to move in that next new capacity with the Father. Yeah, I like what you said that, you know, we are in the Sabbath. We, we are not, uh, you know, one day a week, you know, we are the Sabbath. We are the rest of the Lord. We are what God has designed, you know, to bring in the last days uh, the Sabbath is us, you know, yeah. we are his rest and we function in his rest. And, um, uh, uh it, it is a life of rest. It's a life of an easy yoke. It's a life of victory. Um, so, you know, the Sabbath was always about celebrating God's victory. You know, what he has done, we labor throughout the week and we look and we see what his provision was because on the sixth day, Whatever they gathered did not spoil and carried them through to right. the the first day again, or the well, six, seven, yeah, the first day of the week again. And the same thing happened with the year Jubilee, where, or uh, was it Jubilee? I don't know. That they were to not harvest their crops. Right. They were to just go out and glean whatever grew. And not cultivate, not do anything, but just let the land rest and whatever was there they could have. And there was always provision for that time of rest. And so we are in that time of rest and we are, we are reaping and gleaning the provision uh, of, of what Jesus did. Right. Well, and even, you know, what Jesus did, but then daily what he calls us to, we reap the provision of because we're obedient and because we're contrite and we've come to that point, again, where that Tob and Ramit and we've chosen to partner with Tob, that it's like that whole experience is what has brought the provision for the fulfillment of that, that point of rest, you know? So everything that he draws us into that we overcome in, that we can look back and give thanksgiving for how he brought us to that point and know that in that moment of breakthrough, that's where we rest. That's where, you know, his provision is what's his spirit is what is accomplishing that work. And we're saying, okay, in the midst of this, this is what you've developed in me. And so now once this point of overcoming, you know, the tabernacle, you break through, you know, you establish, you break through, you come back victorious and you go out ready to, um, fight again. But were you going to say something else? I was going to say, this was like, I'm sitting here, you're talking and I was like, Oh, I just did this last night into this morning. There we go. And it really is that challenge to when you encounter things to, you know, that Tobin raw meat and you really do decide, am I going to allow the bitterness to fester or do I go, okay. And yet where have you provided Lord? And then where do I go forward from here? Right. And then because of that, then you're put into a position of coming in here and corporately bringing forth not the bitterness that's wanted to overcome, but the joy of the Lord that's, you know, that we're chewing in, we're restoring, and we may not see the ramifications in the spirit initially about what's really going on, but, right. you know, in the, whatever the physical thing is that we've put aside, there's a victory there. Right. 
Well, and I think that's the other thing too, and point, you know, the, the turmoil that you've been through and, and the battling and the choosing, you know, the other point of that rest too, is that you're, you know, because again, it was kind of, it's multifaceted definition there, you know, but you're drawing back even from that point of conflict, you know, you realized this is where I chose to overcame, overcame, overcome. <laughs> and so, you know, that I don't have to be zeroed in or focused in on the pain that it brought or how uncomfortable it was, but rather the victory. And so now I'm drawing back and I'm giving that praise. And then that's how, when somebody asks me, so how was your day? Or, you know, what's been going on with you? It's not, oh, well, it sucks. It's really, actually, the Lord's really just been helping me to overcome, you know, it's all about perspective and not that it's just in how you say that, but if that's the attitude that it's not, oh, what was me? Life has been so terrible, but that it's, how the Father's been using these points of battle to make you stronger, to make you victorious, and to prepare you, that it does. You know, that point of Thanksgiving totally changes your forward progression. Or it's to demonstrate your overcoming, that you yes. have grown, that you have a strength that, that you hadn't realized before. Right. And it's kind of like, look at you now. Right. You which know. is an encouragement because you're like, Amen. oh, yeah. How, yeah. <laughs> I would have responded this way before. And then you're like, thank you, Lord, for the growth that you brought because to not have to respond that way that you did before. Well, it gives you confidence free. that you graduated. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that, that you have uh, participated in, in a grace. Right. To move forward, forward in a higher relationship. And uh, he said, oh, you know, often he'll, he'll let us experience the the uh, the strength you've got the strength now watch what you can do and and you know I'm going oh that's cool right you know I couldn't fly before but now I can I can right absolutely well you know and so and this was too what the leaders you know later on you know jumping down the road not that I grabbed a scripture from the New Testament but what they were lacking was this point of relationship and this point of direction from the Lord that would actually bring life. And instead they made it about works. They made it about, Oh, well you can't walk your donkey so many feet on this day because they were trying to make it look like they still had a point of authority by which they could lead the people. And the reality was they had cut themselves off from the source that would give them that authority. And so, um, you know, without the empowerment of the truth of God's spirit, all it did was drive a bigger wedge between themselves and God's heart, you know, for the people. Um, so moving down to verse 15, it's interesting because it says six days may work, which is our word here, Malak, be done. But in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy. So Kodosh or set apart to the Lord, to his plans and purpose. Whosoever doeth, and this is that same word that I talked about earlier. I don't know if I pulled it out specifically, but Asa, um, which has to do with, let's see where to go. Sorry. Oh, that was that um, being the word that roots down to be, well, it talks about being bruised, but to be contrite. So and really submitted. So anybody who's submitting um, to this work, this malak on the Sabbath, he shall surely be put to death. So again, the father gave a time frame in which the people were to move in, 
even a new point of revelation that he had given to them. But he wanted them to know that they had to be prepared to continually move in the new thing that he had called them to. And as we've stated already, that this doesn't have to be a literal six days, but rather how we function in the restorative pattern of his ways, operating at the directive of his spirit and anticipating that when he's brought the fullness of his revelation to bear and bringing and brought the overcoming that, um, let's see, that he will bring overcoming and we have to submit in obedience and then be willing to move forward in that new measure of grace. So, um, yeah. So, because again, we know that seven is that fullness. And so if we go back to this, not just being about seven days of the week, but really being about that cyclic process for anything that the Lord is wanting to do in and through us, that again, we can't go back and we can't continually submit to even the old thing that we have to look forward to join in that new capacity that the father is asking us to move with him in. Because again, even we, you know, we build upon it and we give Thanksgiving for it, but then if we stay in it, it still, it cuts you off because essentially you've said, Lord, I don't need to hear your fresh revelation. I don't need to hear that new thing. And then that puts us in that point of, of death. And it goes on in 16 to say, wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe, which is observe is that word Asus, So that submission, um, the Sabbath throughout their generations for perpetual covenant and it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the plans and purpose of the Lord, Yahweh, made heaven and earth. And this is interesting because it transitions into our next scripture. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Um, and so it's, you know, speaking to that the father set the pattern for how he wanted Israel to operate. He didn't ask them to do anything, and he's not asked us to do anything he's not already done. Um, and so this takes us to... Um, oh, goodness, I had all this other stuff I had typed here. I'm like, well, have I said all this? <laughs> um, While you're looking, let me just mm -hmm. you know say that that on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Of course, this responds this this corresponds to what truth and sonship, right? Which which represents that completion, that fullness, uh, that operating. Everything is working. Everything has built to that point, and there is that measure of uh, the, the the accomplishment ready to go back to judgment and burning. Right. But there is that point where it's done. That work of the six ways of God has been fulfilled and, and, and has brought to that point of truth and sonship, of understanding uh, his identity and understanding our identity and, and being at rest in that, being, being fulfilled in that without striving for... Um, you know, anything else that that's the, that's the goal. Right. And so there is a rest in that and, uh, there's a refreshing. Yes. You know, I, I have, I have overcome and I am functioning in, in the fullness of the father and as a trusted son. And, and so that's, that's truly, um, the pattern here 
for creation and that seventh day refreshing. Right. Absolutely. You know, and and so the only thing I guess that I hadn't, what I kind of touched on but didn't carry the rest of the thought, thought through um, was as I was thinking about, again, how this related to the leaders, you know, in the New Testament as well. And it reminded me of the teaching that we heard at Aunt Kay's church, you know, their pastor, because he was talking about, you know, this idea of, um, let's see, you know, just talking about not moving forward in grace and that this is what caused Jesus to turn over the money changers tables in the temple because he entered into the temple, entered into the temple, which was to be a place, a spiritual commerce where people came to really ascertain the heart of the father and then to go forth and lead the people on behalf of the fresh revelation they received there. But instead he found them applying man's idea of fruitfulness. They were trying to make a buck, you know, he, um, and this kept the people from, because they were selling the sacrifices, but this kept the people from actually having to sacrifice anything of themselves in order to partner with God. And so they came to that place where Tob and Raw met that opportunity to really die to self. And they chose raw. They chose that twisted point of truth that um, allowed them to appear holy in their actions while all the while their hearts were far from the Father and not bringing much fruitfulness. And it just, you know, again, back to the idea of the fig tree with all the leaves, it looked fruitful, but when you lift up the leaves, there was no real fruit underneath. And so if you are making it about a physical work and you're saying, well, I'm going through these motions and this is lining up, but there's no point of spiritually overcoming, of recognizing the, again, really discerning where the Tob and Ra were clashing and then partnering with that point of overcoming, that there really isn't any fruitfulness at that point. And, um, you know, the people were supposed to be remembering the ways God had completely, or they were supposed to remember how God had delivered them, you know, totally surrendering and submitting themselves to his ways and how the power of his spirit had delivered them. And then, and as that in, that was a point of fulfillment really for the promise that he had given to Abraham. Um, but okay, let me go through. So let's go now to Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. And it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, or Malacca, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. And, you know, with that, you realize, you know, you have to go back to Genesis 1, where it says, and God created the heavens and the earth, and then there's that, and then it was void and without form. And that point where the enemy was thrown down from heaven because of the rebellion, so then the thing that God had created had been was being twisted and being used for how the enemy was absconding really with the glory of the Lord on the earth. Well, so then when... God came and made creation and restored his earth at that point. It wasn't just a, like a bibbity bobbity boo. There was a point of contesting. There was a point of him having to um, apply himself. Um, was it that, you know, his occupation and going forth and telling these points of darkness, you're no longer going to function this way. 
I'm restoring it and I'm bringing about my truth and my work. And so when you realize that the father had to restore the earth to how he intended it to function, that meant he consumed the darkness that had destroyed or distorted how his truth was operating. And this is also why he created us so that any other points of glory that were still absconded with by the enemy could be restored to function on behalf of the father's purpose. And that was his intent all along was to partner with us. But this is why, even though he created, he made creation, he set up the garden, he set up Adam and Eve. Um, and even, you know, when his work of creation was completed and prepared to move forward into the next phase of grace that he had it, well, and so that was the whole idea, sorry, you know, with the seventh day is at that point, his work of creation was complete, but he completed it so that there could be that next step of grace, which was for man to partner with him, for Adam and Eve to commune in the garden and to hear how he needed things to work in alignment with his heart. And so, um, you know, even in this, God was the example for sons of how, you know, when we partner with him for the completion and restoration of a great work, that there's still going to be a new point of grace to move forward in. Because truly, what greater point of work would there be than God creating us, creating day and night, you know, bringing what the enemy had twisted and just restoring that? Because um, this was the beginning. And again, just realizing that this completion was not an end all, but rather the preparation for the new work of how his breath was going to move upon the earth. Um, and it's interesting too, because when you read, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? <laughs> when it says, um, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, you know, the word finished means complete or prepare, consume. That's where I got that idea of the father consuming what the enemy had done. And it says, and all the host of them, the word for host of them has to do with the massive persons organized for war. So, you know, a lot of times we just think, oh, like the starry host, the host of heaven. But the father knew that moving forward in grace was going to involve a battle with the enemy. And so he had his angelic forces prepared and organized to be able to partner with man in order to combat the enemy. And this, you know, takes us back to that understanding of the kingdom of heaven suffereth, suffereth, blah, 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 suffereth violence, you know, and the violent take it by force. I mean, from the beginning of creation, he knew that this is what was going to be required, which is not only did he complete the earth, but he had the host ready and organized for war, for battle. Were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, um, just add to that God was setting boundaries with the earth, you know, thinking about you know, the ocean's going to come this far, the land will be here. But mm -hmm. then it, it made me kind of giggle because I thought, you know, we always like to look at it and make, oh my goodness, Adam and Eve messed up in the garden. Well, the reality was God, it was, the enemy played right into God's hand. There was really no mess up because he was always intent on having man partner with him. And so all the enemy did was force it to become something where he was going to be at odds with with it at all times. Well, it's kind of like the enemy showed his hand. He right. showed where he had been hiding and what his tactic was for coming in and trying to, um, again, half the Lord not said, you know, try and break that partnership so that now man in his partnership with God could speak to what the enemy was doing. 
Well, this the 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 whole overcoming of the formlessness and void of the darkness of the earth was dispelled or broken by his word. You know, it begins with a word. And he said, yeah. let there be light. And at that point, the stars and the sun and, and all that had not been created yet. So what he was declaring, what um, the word light, among other things, is the word or. But among other things, it means is light of the face or light of life. And so what uh, God did was to speak in his presence into what he had created. So his presence overcame the darkness. It was, it was who he was, his identity, his, his, um, his life, you know, was, was what brought about order and the way things were supposed to be, which was light. Right. So, um, you know, this, this is how, like you said, we are now functioning as light, uh, uh, we don't bring daylight, but we do bring the lightning, which is another definition of that word light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we come in as lightning, we are five times hotter than the sun. So uh, it's, um, it's, it's more than just uh, illuminating a place as a candle. It, it is actually um, striking uh, a, a, a place of darkness so it gets transformed. Right. And that requires warfare, you know, and so just realizing that because there's going to be a battle for that, because it's not a, um, it's not a nonviolent process, you know, lightning is pretty hot. It's going to destroy whatever it is that it hits in its pathway that, um, you know, still through that, Again, even as the father knew that there was going to be that next forward progression of grace for creation, this was the same way he was asking that he had intended for Adam and Eve to partner with him, the same way that Abraham did, the same way that he's asking Israel, the same way that he's asked us as sons to partner with his heart, to um, to realize that you know, we rejoice for what we've come through, but that we really are then ready. And we're not going, oh, I came forth as lightning and now I smell singed. My head hairs feel a little singed and I'm a little, you know, here that, you know, our focus isn't on whatever, if it makes sense to say it this way, it doesn't, isn't focused on what happened to us in the midst of the battle in the sense of the, the wounding that was there or the difficultness of it, but rather that point of overcoming. And that in that point of overcoming, we know that there's the strength. We know that what the father wanted to accomplish is exactly what's been released. And in that, we know that he's prepared us to move forward in that next greater measure of partnership with him, you know, that step of grace. I was just thinking, you know, we, we talk about being lights and candles and not hiding your candle under a bush, and, but it really is more of a, a um, atmospheric change that comes because we're being who God created us to be. We're being those, those as sons who walk in that authority. And so when we're sent out to um, our other nations, when we're sent out to our workplaces, when we're sent out into the world, it really is more of a moving forward. Um, you know, I think 
in the past, we've just kind of been like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, everyone lights your candles, you know, but it really is. It's not that ambient glow. It is a forceful uh, changes the atmosphere. It does. It changes the atmosphere. You can't have lightning strike and it not affect what it's hit. You know, I've seen trees that have been hit by lightning and they no longer look as though they, they were, you know, they have been changed. And whether that's a physical thing, whether they're still living or whether it's completely killed it, you know, (laughs) that's, that's what the lightning does. It brings about a, a permanent change well, another aspect when you said that, I just thought of, we can't lament either that that change happened. Like, oh, that poor tree, it looks so beautiful. And now here it's cut in half because sometimes as we're being his voice of truth, we're being the light, the thing that we touch and it brings destruction, it may mean something that even we were kind of dependent on or we thought was, um, you know, while it's making the change other places, we're not going to come through unchanged. You know, and so the way that it changes us, we don't ever want to lament. And I think that even goes back to that point of bitterness. We don't want to look at, oh, but I really miss this aspect or that, that it has to be realizing that that change was actually a point of overcoming, that that was that point of breakthrough that needed to happen to be ready to move in the new thing and that we embrace it. And then that's what we, he was with the net, that that's what we, you know, are rejoicing over. And, um, that's where the rest is. That's what's preparing us to go forward. But, um, and again, you know, when we've partnered in the cyclic process to overcome a point where maybe the enemy has broken forth upon us, the people of the, the people or the land, we have to um, understand and remember that this is a time of preparation for the next point of grace he wants us to move forward in. I'm just kind of repeating myself, but the completion of a work or our overcoming will be the catalyst that he wants to partner with all the angelic hosts to continually restore his kingdom on this earth. And if we fail to rejoice in this process, we can fall prey to bitterness. And then, as it's been stated, we are cut off from his breath and will lack his vision. And we know that without vision, the people perish. So, um, and again, recognizing too that, you know, the battles aren't because we failed in some way and we deserve punishment, which sometimes is how it can be distorted in the general church. You know, you're going through this tough time. Well, what, how, how are you not partnering with God or where did you mess up? You know, but that, um, but that's necessary to refine us so we can move forward in the strength and understanding of his spirit. And, um, and again, just that point of seeing this ever as any sort of a punishment, it's just a twisted perspective that the enemy wants to blind people with so that there's no growth or forward movement on behalf of father's heart. And you, know, you just start to realize that a lot of these perspectives, that is, it is a twisting, you know, even the not doing any physical work or, you know, looking at the trials that we go through or somehow that we've messed up or we've missed it. And that's why it's happening versus no, this is actually how we were intended to move from the beginning of creation. This is why his angelic forces were prepared and mobilized at the same time. He completed the earth because he knew that it was that partnership that was necessary for his grace to go forward. Um, and you know, so it's interesting because then it takes us to Exodus 12, 12 through 17 And, um, this same idea, you know, before we went to our original scripture in 31, where he's laying out for them, how he wants them to observe the Sabbath, he has them function in this same fashion that we see with creation. Um, we see creation and, uh, let me, and it's with the Passover and it says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt 
this night and I will smite. And I'll just kind of point things out as I go through because we're going to run out of time. Um, the word for smite means to strike or beat, to give wounds or give stripes. So, hey, again, what we were, you know, just talking about recently um, with the wounding and, you know, the stripes, again, being that point of um, really where the healing has come, you know, but that you've had to, Tobin Raw have met. And, th- and this was the father meeting up with the raw of what the enemy had established in Egypt. And this is why there was this smiting. Um, and really this was the father breaking forth against the enemy with the full measure of his way. And it says, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And again, execute is that, you know, contriteness that it will, his judgment will be known among are on these gods and they will be contrite <laughs> before him. And he says, cause I am the Lord, I am Yahweh and the blood shall be to you for a token. So that monument, that signal upon the houses where you are. And when I see, when I raw, when I discern that you have partnered with me, the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast. So just to pause remote, that word there, keep, is actually the word hagag, which talks about moving in a circle or to chul. And when it says keep it a feast, feast is also the word hog, which roots back to hagag. Um, and again, you know, it's remembering how something that the enemy where, so again, these understandings of um, spiritual influence that the enemy had twisted and was using, that the father took something that had once been beautiful, that had been made ugly, because we know hag, you know, comes from that word, and he restores it to function it was it, as it was intended. This is what the father wanted them to remember at their feast. This is what he wanted them to remember, is that where Egypt had enslaved them and made them haggardly, you know, that he wanted to restore them to their rightful point as sons and their place of partnership with him. And that that was really the beauty of how God wanted them um, to function and really have their inheritance as sons. And it says, seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day shall you put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel the same concept as in, you know, Exodus 31. Again, if you're partaking of anything from the past, because we know we've had teachings about the leavened and unleavened and that the leaven is when anything from the past that you try and pull in and that new thing that the father's asking you to partner with him in that, that really, um, again, cuts you off from hearing what his fresh rhema word is for that moment. It keeps you from being able to move forward with him and the new thing. And, you know, it's not partaking of anything you toiled to create before, but being ready to partner with God in the new way where nothing from the old way that you were involved in or operated in um, or not being covenanted with or committed to any old work to try to accomplish the Father's new thing. Um, all right. And it says, and in the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And in the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation to you. 
no manner of work, so that's our word, malak, should be done in them, save that every man, and that's nefesh, so that the soul, you know, the breath, must eat or must consume that only may be done of you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. Sorry. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. And, um, you know, God was demonstrating how he desired to partner with his sons when he gave them instruction for how they were prepared to leave Egypt. He asked them to leave every source of supply they had known to that point and go into a wilderness with the promise of a lamb flowing with milk and honey, though at the time, even, it was possessed by other nations, by the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Persites and the Amorites and the Hivites and Jebusites. Um, and so really it was a promise that on the surface seemed impossible to not only gain freedom, but to overtake other nations. And, you know, you might call it one of those barren moments, but, you know, that goes back to that um, being contrite before the father for what he wants to do. And that thing that looks empty, that there was going to be provision, but they couldn't depend because, you know, even as they came out of Egypt, you know, God provided for them with the gold and silver that the Egyptians were laying upon them. But you figure they were a civilization that they had been part of and integrated. And so even the day-to-day um, behaviors or activities, routines, that's the word I want, <laughs> um, that they had established, that it would have been easy to fall back on those. Well, this is how I start my morning and this is what I do. And the father was saying, you've got to lay all that aside. You know, even though I've used their goal to provide for you, the provision is coming from me. And, um, you know... Again, the plans and purpose of God delivered Israel from Egypt in the same manner he later instructed them to move in Exodus 31. And we, again, this was after the same manner that he partnered um, with creation and man at the beginning. And, um, yeah. Sorry. So we have come to the wilderness and that which looks impossible and as those who will not allow um, even any victories from the past to influence how we move forward with the Father, you know, we have to choose to move forward in the new measures of grace. And we have to strive to be ambassadors of His way alone. You know, because again, the Malak, being that ambassador, being that messenger, that the message that we carry, again, knowing that it starts with a voice, what we're declaring forth is that new thing that the fathers asked us to move in. It's the point of overcoming and the victory that was known. It's not all the, and not that there's not maybe a time of testimony where you talk about the painful things because then it helps relate. But that again, that's not where our focus stays camped out at um, because that's that partnering with the Sabbath. That's that partnering and the new thing. And you know, that rest, the drawing back from the battle and realizing that, you know, yes, the battle is part of it, but that it's about the victory that was um, in the overcoming and not the wounds that were suffered in the midst of it. Um, actually. Okay. And so then... This brings me to Jeremiah 
17, verse 19 through 25. Okay. And it says, and this is obviously at this point now, Israel is back in captivity because of their lack of partnership with the ways of God. And so this is when Jeremiah is speaking to them. And in verse starts with verse 19. It says, Thus saith, said the Lord unto me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people, whereby the kings of Judah come in, and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say unto them, Hear ye the word of the Lord, ye kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that enter in by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, which the word take heed is shamar, so guard, guard about your naposh, that's to yourselves, and bear, so nasa, lift up, magnify, no burden. Um, where did I go? I just lost my thing. Sorry. Okay. And bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do ye any work, and here's our word, Malak, but hollow ye the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hollow the Sabbath day to do no work therein, then shall there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. Um. You know, and it's interesting because we know that the gates are what allow for, um, you know, the commerce of the Lord for to be welcomed. It's, you know, the gates guard the city, and then within the city you have the doors which speak of our personal relationship. But if the gates aren't being guarded, if things are being brought in that will change the overall atmosphere, that's... Um, what he was speaking to, that they were not to bring anything into the gate that was going to cause their, um, what they stood for, their point of deputyship or their ambassadorship, what they submitted themselves to and partnered their voice with to um, not align with the heart of God, that they weren't to bring in, like when it says any burden there, um, so which would be specifically like a tribute or um, it says an utterance, chiefly a doom, especially singing, um, mental or a desire. So again, you just think of, because you think of like a tribute or a song that may prophetically partner with what was going on, but even to partner, um, you know, with what they were, um, sorry, again, to what back to what you're partnering your voice with. You know, those things that you're singing of, those things that you desire, that you don't want to bring anything through the gates that doesn't align with that new thing that the Father was moving them in, in that fashion, yes. And you got to figure, these were, you know, because they hadn't driven out all the ites, they were surrounded by other influences. And right. so they, when they went out of the gates and came back in, there was the potential to bring in things that were not what God asked for. 
because you're mixing, you're trading with other people. And so right. then you come back in, well, they had these gold gods and so they could be worth a lot of money, but you're not realizing that you're bringing these idols into the camp of the Lord. And now you've defiled it because this is not the influence right. God wants to have. Because now that's what you're partnering your voice with is what that represents and not what the father's heart wanted, you know, because he promises them, if you do this, then your kings and princes will be on the throne again. You know, they will be in that point of hearing directly from me and being able to establish Jerusalem so that it remains forever. Establish the voice of, yeah, the tabernacles that go forth. We have to know that this is a, this is ours commissioning as well to right. guard the gates because you know it starts with little things that we're you know don't seem to matter but they begin to uh, occupy and their work will spread you know right. their roots will will take hold and begin to sprout in other places uh, until they uh, gradually take over or become prominent and the things of God are, are overshadowed and crowded out or lost. Right. Well, that's exactly it. And so I just said, you know, on the verge of the new way that Father is asking us to move, we cannot afford to magnify um, or utter anything that would cause us to break forth against His ways. We have to see the new day as a point He has set aside for us to move His sons with Him um, with him and welcome the instruction that Adonai brings that prepares us for this moment. Then we will possess the gates where the commerce of the kingdom of the father is welcome to operate and carry forth the judgment of the Lord for his restoration upon this earth. And that's that back to that full cyclic process. But, um, so it is past time. <laughs> that is all I have.